Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We were in verse number 7 last week. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is the 19th message in our quest for authentic Christianity as defined by God's Word. And we've taken these Beatitudes, these blessed life series, and we've torn them apart verse by verse, word by word. And we'll continue with that today on to our next verse, verse number eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Heavenly Father, for a few minutes, God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Lord, that your word, Lord, would penetrate the most callous heart in the building. God, that the distractions of life, the things that are weighing people down, Father, for just a few moments, God, would disappear in the background. And Father, that the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, would move and have his way and have his will in this place today. I pray that you would use me, your servant, for your will and for your glory. God, I pray for our pastor emeritus. God, as he preaches today in Texas, Lord, I pray that you would touch him today as he stands behind the pulpit. Give him the words for those dear people, God, in Dallas. Lord, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit of God is not confined to borders, but Lord, you're able to meet with us today just like you met with those dear Christian people in Kiev just a few hours ago. Lord, we ask you to have your way in our lives and in this service. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We talked about cruelty. We talked about injustice. We talked about war. We talked about the pressure of life. And then we highlighted the need in people's lives for mercy. We need the mercy of God. Each and every person that's in this building, the thousands of people that will watch online, to those that listen on the internet and on the radio, every person under the sound of my voice needs the mercy of God. There's nothing in this life, there's nothing within human effort or human ability that can replace the mercy of God. And when Christians see the turmoil of this world, when Christians see injustice, when Christians see pain, when Christians see war, what do we do? We cling to the promise of God's word and we cling to the mercies of God. They're rich and they're new every morning. They pursue us. The goodness and the grace and the mercy of God follows the Christian through his days. We saw that justice was the heart and the soul of the law but that mercy, if you want to understand the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, you must embrace mercy. It is the heart of the gospel. It's something that's bestowed upon people who cannot earn it, nor who deserve it. It's something that's freely given from a God who did not need man to be God. God could have simply stood away from mankind, allowed us to die without hope, without any bridge, without any uh, hope of the chasm being closed in. God did not need us to be God, but God in grace and in mercy 
sent his son Jesus to die in my place, become my sin, and gave it to me freely. That's why religion just does not cut it at the end of the day. You can light a billion candles. You can say a billion prayers. You can do a million different things and religious actions. But at the end of the day, what you need desperately is a touch from God, a relationship with God, the mercy of God. And so if we go back to the beginning of these Beatitudes, that word blessed, remember this now, we've talked about this a lot and we've described it each time we've preached a Beatitude. But that word blessed, you've got to remember in the Greek is makarios. It means blessed, it means happy, it means inwardly satisfied above the ebb and the flow of the cosmos, of the world. In other words, buddy, it's something that is attached directly to the person of Jesus and has nothing to do with my corrupted human emotions. It's something above humanity and it's tied directly to the person of God. So as Jesus is preaching, as Jesus is teaching these beatitudes, he's saying blessed, happy, inwardly satisfied are the people that follow these teachings. So Jesus is saying today, happy, inwardly satisfied, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Let's go back to verse number three and quickly read these verses that we've already covered. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to stop right there at verse number three. It's the only one I'll stop at before we get back to verse eight. Remember this. Every bit of this, this all starts with spiritual poverty. It starts with the man understanding, the woman understanding that apart from God, they are spiritually destitute. The word there is to be a beggar. In other words, there's nothing within me, there's nothing within my capability that I can get myself out of this problem. There's a different, different types of poverty that are found in the New Testament. This type of poverty is abject poverty. It's the most real form of poverty. It's to be someone that is in the street literally begging for anything that they're going to get. Jesus is saying men and women all around the world who want to enter into the kingdom of God, they first have to remember that they are entering the kingdom of God at a low place. No one comes to the kingdom of God in a position of pride. That's why this starts with poverty. We'll see this as it grows. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That isn't a maybe, that isn't a happenstance. It's shall Jesus said, and then today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this sixth beatitude says that we are to be pure in heart, that we will see God. Jesus is very interested in each and every person that's here in the building and each and every person that's watching online right this very moment. If you're here in the building today and you can understand the words coming out of my mouth and you're able to engage your muscles and your right rotator cuff, raise your right hand if you're a person and you're alive and breathing in this room. <laughs> Praise God. If somebody next to you does not raise their hand, call 911. <laughs> each hand that went up, each person that's worshiping online, God is interested in you. 
God has something in his thought process towards you. You are on his radar. Sometimes in this life, in this painful existence, on this mud ball called earth, we can feel isolated. We can feel all alone, that no one knows us, that no one even cares for us. I submit to you that every person that raised their hands and the small children that are too young to understand, even them, every single soul in this building and worshiping online, God cares about that person. He knows who they are. And it's his will, it is his desire to mercifully bestow upon them eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that those who believe, that if they cast their belief upon him, that they'll repent, return of their sin, then Jesus will be faithful to meet them right where they are and save them. It's a wonderful free gift that's given, the grace and the mercy of God. But to those of us that are here in the faith, those of us that are saved, born again, on our way to heaven, Jesus is concerned not with what you're wearing today. He's not concerned with how much your tie costs or how expensive the shoes are on your feet. He is concerned with what you are on the inside. So my question to you, the Holy Spirit of God, as he examines each heart today, as we have prayed, God, inspect me, look at me, shine a light deep into the crevices of my heart. The prayer is today, God, what am I? God, who am I? He's not asking what people can see on the outside. He's not asking what you say with your mouth when you're around a group of other believers. He's wanting to know who are you today on the inside that maybe no one else in this life knows or sees or hears. The problem with the modern day church is we've begun to take ourselves and our righteousness and our religious works and our goodness and we're comparing ourselves to the ebb and the flow of the cosmos. We are comparing ourselves to the world. Christians do not compare themselves to the world. The world is not the standard. Christians step back and they assess themselves. They look at themselves as measured up to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Where do I stand today as compared to my Lord and Savior? If you're satisfied this morning with where you are when you put yourself next to Jesus, then you're not looking in all the right places. This life requires an understanding that on this earth, in this life, I'll never reach a place of perfection spiritually. I'll always need more of him and less of me. I'll always need to grow in the grace and the mercy and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in this world of such impurity, immorality, and injustice, listen, towards God, injustice towards God, and just blatant wickedness, we must remember that we hold ourselves to the standard of who Jesus is. Purity is more than cleanliness. You hear the words coming out of my mouth? Purity, what Jesus is describing, is more than cleanliness. This is a matter of being genuine. Uh-oh. Now the rubber meets the road. This is a matter of intention. This is a matter of sincerity. This is a matter of your motivations, why you do what you do and why you say what you say. This is who you really are. 
This is free of facade, free of cloak, free of mask. This is who you are on the inside. And really, to be pure, you've got to understand that on the inside, in the origins of all aspects of life, the internal man, that Christians are to be able to look at life without corruption, and we are to look at life and be in this world, not of this world, and remain uncontaminated. That's why Jesus said, you are salt. Salt is a preservative. Salt fixes a state in place. It does not allow more deterioration, more decay. Salt stops the rot. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are to interject yourself into society. You're the salt. You're also the light. The light casts out the darkness. The light reveals truth. The light is the hope. That's why it's called the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. This is everything that you are. This is what you are when no one else is watching. This is what you are when your wife is not with you at home alone. This is what you are when you're at work alone with a coworker. This is what you are when you're with your wife, when you're with your husband, and you let everything else come down. The facade... It's not Facebook friendly. It's not Instagram worthy. It's real and it's raw. That's what Jesus is saying needs to be purified. Know this, that even the saved people here in this building today, the saved people, those of us that are in the faith, we're still attached to the fractured, broken nature of our flesh. Even saved people today are still at war, are still in a struggle with this, the flesh, its desires, its wants, its needs. And if you're going to follow these beatitudes, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, then what you're praying is a death prayer that your flesh would die, that your will would die, that everything that feeds your humanity and your flesh would cease to exist. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I, the Apostle Paul, die daily. Every single day, my flesh must come unto subjection and I must die. It's the prayer of John 3.30 that God would increase and that I would decrease. That my wants and my desires would come under the Lordship of Christ and that what He wants for my life would be my chief end, my purpose. That's what being a Christian is. That's what a follower of Christ is. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what Instagram calls a Christian or what Facebook groups you can find that defines Christians in their box, in their way. The only place you should be concerned with what a Christian is, is from God's holy word. This is what a Christian is. Not what some talking head on some show says. This is what a follower of Jesus Christ follows is his word. That's why there is such a struggle in your life to remain pure and read his word. That's why it is such a hardship for you to obtain a time daily to stay committed to reading his word. Satan only fights what he fears and Satan fears God's children full of God's word. That's why it's a struggle. There were tons of stories in history about medieval monks who wanted to live a perfect life. They wanted to be perfect and holy just like God. So they fled to the deep mountains 
They go into monasteries deep into lonely places. And they live in these subjective abstract locations in these big dark dungeons. And they call it a quest for holiness. They isolated themselves from people. They refused to talk. But ladies and gentlemen, those attempts by those monks in those monasteries, those attempts to be holy, those attempts to be perfect, those attempts to be pure were ruined, were of none effect before they even got to the monastery. You see, because they took with them into the monastery, into the isolation, their corrupt, wicked hearts. In other words, again, religion cannot save you. Religion cannot purify you. A relationship with Jesus Christ is what you desperately need. A call to be a Christian is not a call to be isolated from the world, but a lifestyle of insulation. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, but he did not live it in isolation. Jesus did not uh, be born. He wasn't born in, in Bethlehem, go to Nazareth to be uh, raised and then do his ministry in a hole in a cave. He went out amongst the people. He was not isolated from the world. He was in the world, but not of the world. But he was insulated in impenetrable, perfect holiness. That's who Jesus was. He remained completely perfect as all God and all man. And he had no short circuit on the power from heaven. He was holy and he was perfect. And for me and for you, purity of heart is impossible apart from saving, sanctifying grace. You'll never be able to purify yourself. You'll never be able to work yourself to a clean enough place to make God happy. There is no back room deal to be made with the big man upstairs. Number one, please, in all love, quit calling him the big man upstairs. He's a holy God who's due some respect and honor from our hearts. There's no backwoods black market deal to be made with God. He is very clear in what he desires of his people. And he said, if you want to see me, you'll have a pure heart. Those are not my words. Those are not Baptist theology. That is simply the word of God. In my Bible, these words are read. These are the words of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I follow him. I want to embrace what he said. The Greek word here for pure know this, is katharos. It means to be clean. It means to be blameless. It means to be unstained from guilt. Understand that that word can also mean that which has been purified by fire. Purified by fire. Where do you remember that in the New Testament? Matthew 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist. He said, I, being John the Baptist, indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh, being Jesus, after me is mightier than I, and whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. John the Baptist said, but Jesus, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Malachi 3.2, but who may abide in the day of his coming? This prophecy speaks. And who shall stand when he, being Jesus, appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. 
A refiner's fire is a fire so hot that it can bend and melt steel or take the tree of an acacia and take one of those sticks and burn away the furrows and the imperfections so that it can be made into an arrow put in the quiver of God's availability for his glory. And then the fuller's soap, a fuller is one who washes clothes and repairs clothes. What they're saying is that when Jesus comes, it will be like a fire that sweeps over the hearts of his people. They will change. They will be different. And their clothes will go from stinky, smelly, unrighteous, filthy rags to a new robe and a new ring and a new name. They'll smell different because they've been washed in the soap of the fuller's wash bin. That's a powerful transaction with God. The Greek word here for heart is cardia. And this is the physical heart, obviously, but it also means the spiritual center of life. This is your desires. This is your senses. This is your will, your understanding, and your character. This is who you are when no one's watching. This is what Jesus is saying is to be purified. Know this, being pure in heart involves having a singleness towards God. Stay with me here. A singleness towards God. It becomes everything you are. It means that there's not a Friday night you and a Sunday morning squeaky clean you. Rut row. We've gone to meddling, as Poppy would say. It means that there's a singleness in your relationship, that it's genuine, that it's real, that you don't have a mask that you put on on Friday night that allows you to be what your flesh wants you to be. That when you're around a certain group of friends, a certain group of people, you'll allow yourself to indulge in this or that or the other because it's what they're doing and you don't want to make them uncomfortable. So you'll just be a part of that. And God gets it. God knows. God understands. No, no, no. God requires of his people pure hearts. There's a singleness in this relationship. A pure heart is a heart that has no hypocrisy. A pure heart has no guile. A pure heart has no hidden motives with their brothers and sisters in Christ in the way that they treat them. The pure heart is marked by transparency and the pure heart is marked by an uncompromising desire to please God. This is a heavy toll. It's a tall order. May I submit to you that you can't fill this order in your own ability, in your own strength, and in your own wisdom. There's nothing that I can do for myself to fix this problem of my heart. Only God can do it. That's why Psalm 5110 is so important. The psalmist said, create in me, O God, a renew." and right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. It does not say, create in me a clean heart, O pastor. It doesn't say, create in me a clean heart, O Baptist church. It doesn't say, O Winston, in your own self and in your own motivation and in your own power, create in yourself a clean heart. David said, 
Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Oh God. And when I take myself and who I am and I compare myself to who Jesus Christ is, my response is, oh God, I want to be like you and less like me. That's why your worship is so vital. That's why your worship is so important. That's why you understand that Jesus Christ not only is King of Kings, but He is Lord of Lords. He's Lord of Lords. He's called Lord in the New Testament. It's over 600 times the word appears. He's the Lord. He's our sovereign ruler. He's our King. He's the one we bow to. And you say, that's really too much of a big God for me. That's too old-fashioned in your language to call God your sovereign and your Lord and your King. That just kind of feels weird. This side of heaven, that's the best you can do, is to look at Him as Lord. Because it barely begins to scratch the surface of His majesty, of His Lordship, and of His might and power. That's the God that we're serving. So if I can't do this in my own ability, if I can't fix my heart problem, then what must I do? I must cast myself at the mercy of God. It's God who makes my heart pure. As much as I love you, I can't give you a pure heart. As much as I want you to do right, I can't make you live for God. As much as you want to be a part of this church in good faith, in good standing with God, I can't do it for you. Only God can do it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. So how do we do this? How do we have a pure heart? How do we maintain a pure heart? Consistency. Remember that consistency is part of living a holy lifestyle with God. Three things, then I'll take my seat. Number one, I hope you're writing these down, unless you have a photographic memory. And then again, you still probably have to write it down to see it once, so go ahead and write it down. Number one, you must have a new heart to have a pure heart. If you're here today and you're lost and undone without Jesus, if you have not been saved by the blood of the Lamb applied to your life, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, if you're simply on the outside looking in, waiting to be a son, waiting to be a daughter, waiting to be in the kingdom, know this, you'll never have a pure heart until you get a new heart. And the new heart only comes at the second birth. You must be born again. Remember this, humans, mankind is not predisposed to purity. That's not who we are and it's not what we are. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, they brought with them this despair. They brought with them this evil and they brought death into the world. That's why it's called the Adamic Nature. It goes straight back to Adam and Eve. That's who you are at birth. Even the most small, innocent child, a baby, is born with that nature. Take a bottle away from that three-month-old and watch the Adamic nature rev in four by four. We're born with that. That's in us. Who taught children how to lie at three years old? Their nature did. That's how they're born. 
That's why you cannot do this in your own power. You must have a new heart given at a second birth. Human effort will never be enough. Human effort will never be enough to replace your relationship with Jesus Christ. You need a heart change. Some of you are here, you're on the fringe, you're on the outskirts, and you're watching things happen, and you're watching God move, and you're watching other people have peace, but you're so rebellious in your pride, you refuse to simply ask for a free gift. He'll give it to you. He'll open your eyes. The Holy Ghost of God does the work. I cannot save you. And some of you simply need a new heart. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's His work. The regeneration there is a regenerated heart. That's your new heart. And in that regenerated heart, there's a reprogramming, there's redesign, there's repurpose, and it's chiefly at the end, even in your salvation, all of it is for God's glory. God saves you at His pleasure, at His will, for His glory. At the end of the day, it's not about me, it's about Him and His glory. Number two, how to have a pure heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Number two, you have to love what God loves and you have to hate what God hates. You said we shouldn't hate anything. You shouldn't hate anyone, but you can hate sin. You can hate unrighteousness. You can hate the vileness of this world. The Bible says be angry and sin not. There is righteous indignation. But it's not your job to hate those that are blind. It's not your job to hate people. It's your job to love those people and be merciful to them and share with them the good news that Jesus saves. This is indeed the central point of this problem. It's a heart problem. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to love what God loves and hate what God hates if you want to maintain a pure heart. This is a heart that fears God. I fear God. I love Him. He loves me, but I respect Him and I fear Him. I fear His hand coming off of my life. I fear being out of His will. I fear the wrath and the fury of God unhinged against humanity. My God is a God who is to be feared. That's who He is. And in all that power and all that might, yet John 3.16 lives perfectly in the Bible. For God so loved the world what a type of love is that, that God would love the enemies of God? That's love. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. So how do I do that? Is there a list? No, we're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about what you wear to church on Sunday or what your hairdo looks like. God is so much above your hairdo and whether you have on Keds or Nikes. God wants your heart. Psalm 119 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How in the world am I to have a pure heart in this life? 
And the answer is in Psalm 119.9, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Read the Bible. Take heed to the word of God. Hide it in your heart. Where was that found? In the Bible. You must consume scripture as if it is the bread and the water of your spiritual man. Because if you live in this world as crazy as this world is and you cut yourself off from nourishment and hydration from God's word, you're setting yourself up for failure. You'll never know what it is to be in God's will if you're not in God's word. You'll never know what it is to be in real peace and in real comfort unless you're in God's word. You must consume his word. It's what you desperately need. Take heed to the word of God and beware of the trap that is spelt Y-O-U. Spell the name of that trap with me now. Y-O-U. Say it again. Y-O-U. Me, I'm the problem. I'm the trap. My flesh, my desire, my will. And what everyone in this room must understand is that the person that shaved my face at 5.05 this morning is my biggest problem. I'm my biggest problem. And my flesh and its desire is the greatest enemy to God's will being carried out in my life. That's why, again, the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Winston has to be put to death. An execution that must happen early in the morning when I rise. So that before the day gets good and going, the enemy has been executed and God's glory can dwell and have dominion in my life. The death of Winston Parrish. Put him in the obituaries every single day. That my will and my desire dies. And that the glory of God would shine through my life. You are not strong enough to purify yourself. You are not holy enough to purify yourself. You are not what you need when it comes to purity. You need the absence of you and the increasing power of the Holy Ghost of God ripping away the humanity and installing in you a clean heart, a pure heart. Lastly, live in the Spirit with control and accountability. Walk and live and abide your life in the Spirit and do so with control and accountability. Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen to me, church. You can't have your spiritual cake and eat it too. You're either walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. There's no gray area. There's no, no man's land. It doesn't exist. Either you are walking in the spirit each day, each breath, each heartbeat, moving somewhere and it's either going towards God in the spirit or it's going towards the lust of your flesh and what it desires. 
There is no middle ground where you get to sit on the beach and there be no movement. Every single day that you live, it's moving, it's going somewhere. You're walking in one direction. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't create a fence post wide enough to straddle and have it your way and God's way. It just doesn't exist. If someone told you that, they told you a lie. There is not some sort of alternate reality where we can live for our flesh and then live for God when it pleases us or when we find it convenient. That reality just simply doesn't exist. So by orienting your life towards purity, we don't feed impure desire. We abstain from tempting influences and it may be difficult. It may mean that you need to break off a relationship. Listen to me now. Don't stop listening at the end. It may may mean that a relationship needs to change in your life. You know who it is. God's already put it on your heart. It may be that it's time some things happen differently in your home. It may be that simply your flesh, it's simple It's what you're listening to on the way to work. It's what you're allowing yourself to listen to as you lift weights or run on a treadmill. And you justify it by saying, well, I needed to get me pumping and going. It's it's your flesh being fed. That's not popular preaching in 2022. But I don't want to be a popular church. I want to be a godly church. People that are full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus requires of his people to be pure. That accountability is key. Sheep were not intended to live their lives alone. Sheep were not intended to be isolated. We need each other. Al, I need you. Bill, I need you. Miranda, I have to have you. I have to. I can't do it. You're my accountability. I can't do this by myself. John, I got to have you. You were not made to live alone in a spiritual house of hermitude. God created you to be a part of this living, breathing organism called the church. And then he put something on the church that cannot be broken by this world. And he promised that the gates of hell, the very wickedness and power of the evildoer, that it would never prevail over the church. Why do you think Satan wants you to stay at home and not come to church? Why does the enemy not want you to be a part of a breathing, living organism called the church? Because he wants to isolate you and cut you out and away from the resources that God put in your life and what you need, especially after 17 weeks of what COVID did to God's people is accountability. 
That when you go missing, when you go astray, when you go down a road, you know you should not go. That someone in a blue chair loves you enough to say, hey, don't go that way. Get back over here. Have you lost your mind? You've got babies at home. You've got a wife that loves you. Accountability for the children of God. We are sheep that bow to our sovereign shepherd and we follow his leadership. How dare we assume that we can be on our own in isolation. Run to the church. Run to the church. Run to the church. Run to the church. Get in God's house. Quit looking for an excuse. Get all the way in. It's what we need. The enemy's coming. The darkness is already here. We're being shot at left and right. Marriages are falling apart. People are being picked off. The weak ones are watching the strong ones fail and fall. And what God's people need is to be pure in heart and stay in the foxhole, stay in the trench and keep shooting. Don't give up. You say you're too radical in your beliefs. You're too passionate in your delivery. We're almost out of time. The remnant that remains must be fortified. And our fortitude comes from having a pure heart. What is robbing you of your purity? What is it? Do you struggle? Do you have a hard time with purity when you're alone? Listen, I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to you. Do you fight to remain pure before God when you have a device in your hand that's connected to the internet? Listen to me. This is not the time to play games. This is not a social club. If you want a social club, go down the road to the Asheville Country Club and sign up. This is a house of prayer, a group of people who are desperate for God. And the Bible says that if you want to see God, you have to have a pure heart. What's robbing you of your peace? What's robbing you of your joy and your contentment? What's robbing you of your sword being sharp? Whatever it is. Don't allow it in pride to leave this building with you. Come to this altar and ask God to give you exactly what you need to stay pure. Please Him with your life. Please Him with your actions. Please Him with the purity of your heart. Does your purity fracture? Does it fade late at night when no one knows what you're doing? When no one knows where you are? You may not think that your wife can see it and she may not be able to. Your husband may not know what you're doing in the midnight hour as he sleeps beside you. Your children may not know what their daddy's doing after he puts them to bed. But a God in heaven sees it perfectly. He knows can't run and you can't hide from my God. He's too big. He's too powerful. And Jesus said, if you want to see God, you have to have a pure heart. What's robbing you from seeing God? 
There are some of you that have allowed COVID as the greatest excuse of a lifetime and it's going to rob you of a life of joy. It's going to rob you of a life of peace and contentment. It's going to fracture your marriage. It's going to make your kids hate anybody that has anything to do with the house of God. All because your pride is more important to you than being right with God. There's a high price to pay. A lot of you are watching other people see God move. A lot of you are watching other people see God give them intention and purpose for their lives. But until you become tired of watching them watch God and get some things right in your own life, you're going to continue to spectate. If you want to see God move in your life, If you want to see him save that person in your family that no one believes will ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, have a pure heart. My prayer all week is God, as I preach this, start with me. I want to be tried by fire. I want the impurities to burn off. I want you to inspect me I want you to begin to work in my heart. I want a pure heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one moving about unless you're sick or have to go to work. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice worshiping with us online or on the radio? You say, Pastor, this message today spoke to my heart. The Holy Spirit began to reveal things in my life that represent impurities and imperfections. Is there anyone here that's man enough or woman enough to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things in my life that I know need to change. God bless you on the back row. I see your hand. I see your hand. Hands all over the place. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. There in the back, I see that hand. God bless you, sir. Been praying for you, old boy. Glory to God. This is the line in the sand where God's people come forward and we say no more. I want pure hands. I want a clean heart. I want to live a life that honors God. So many raise their hands. Here's what we need to do. Let's stand all over the building. Every man and woman that's able stand all over the building. Miss Amber's going to sing. There were many of you, many of you that raised your hands. Here's what I want you to do. I want you in faith to follow your hand. You know who you are. You just raised your hand. I want you to follow your hand and I want you to come to this altar and I want you to pray. Don't wait. Come to the altar. Those that raised your hand, you know who you are. I see you making eye contact with me. Come with me. I'm going to meet you here. I'm going to pray. There were hands there in the back. Come meet me. I want to pray with you. You say, I'm not about the religious action. I'm good. Let's come pray and ask God together for some help. Miss Amber's going to sing. So many over there in that section, you raised your hand. Come pray. We want to be a blessing. We want to be a help. Miss Amber, you sing. Pastors and deacons, you help me in the altar. All my pastors, all my deacons. Spirit come
turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast out our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not. Christians, you pray. You pray. The enemy does not like anything like this to happen where people get clean. You pray. You raise your hand. Come do business with God. Be tender. this is the heart cry of our church God we want to be clean people clean hands pure hearts and Lord we want to see you move in this generation God we by the authority of your word refuse to believe that you're unable to do great and mighty things in this generation Lord, we wholeheartedly reject the idea that you're not capable. God, we refuse to lean into the narrative that there's no hope for our country. God, by the authority of your word, the authority of the Holy Spirit, God, we believe that you're capable. We believe that you're able. Now, Father, our prayer is that we would be found in a position that is pleasing to you. God, right before your son returns, God, I pray for a remnant at this church that would be pleasing to you. God, I pray that you'd start with me. God, I want it to begin in my heart. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. But Father, it's me, oh Lord. I'm standing in the need of a pure heart. Begin with me. Devastate who I am. Rip away that what doesn't look like Jesus. Lord, I pray that our church would embrace the role that they've been given in these last days. We pray over every marriage in this church. We pray over every young person, every young adult, every teenager, every child, those that are to come, those that are to be born. I pray that there'd be a generation of pure hearts ready to receive them, ready to lead them. God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for discernment. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will get all the glory, get all the honor for what's done. It's in Jesus' name, the mighty, capable name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.